June 2024, you are listening to Living Proof, the cultural archive of real lives happening. Issue six of Living Proof magazine features graffiti writers Katsu and Camel, skateboarders Sean Powers and Tino Razo, rappers YL and Starker, and artists Nicole McLaughlin, Nate Lohman, Fei Weiwei, Tom Hardwick Allen, Ned Vina, and Tao Lin. Available now on our Patreon and online shop. Live Improve Magazine, Katsu Issue, June 2024. Yo, peace, everybody. Real quick uh, update on what's been going on, on down on our end. You know, a lot of you found out that uh, the bank was trying to repo Charlie's RV, and we found out about that as well. And that's his home and someone who's, you know, done a lot for us. So we were able to stop that from happening and uh, paying off his debts by donating him all the money that we made uh, in June from our Patreon. So... It's really amazing for us to be able to use this platform for stuff like that. Uh, a lot of people in our scene don't really get help like that. So it's we don't take it lightly and we really appreciate the the ability to do that. And it wouldn't have been possible without everybody who signed up. Um, now, the month that's coming up, we're going to be doing something for a Hurt One BF crew. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of him and his situation, seeing as it happened a while ago. And it's still currently going down. Uh, his home was raided in 2008. He was sentenced to jail in 2010 and been on parole since, which is, makes it 11 years. And the reason he's still on parole is because he owes $60,000 in restitution. Uh, but he's been, you know, slowly paying that off. Um, and we're going to be donating all of the money we make to him uh, at the end of July. So some of the stuff that happened to him through getting caught up writing graffiti was... Uh, he couldn't own any art making material legally. So they stopped him from owning chalk, markers, pencils, paint, uh, canvases. And this is someone who's in, you know, he does art, um, even just outside of graph. So that's, uh, you know, and then he couldn't own a cell phone, couldn't drive a car, couldn't leave the County, uh, couldn't be anywhere, not contactable by landline phone, uh, still can't leave the County. So he's, he's getting closer to paying off the restitution and finding, finally ending this 11 years of parole. So our plan is to finish that off. Um, just like we were able to save Charlie's home successfully, our plan is to stop this uh, parole thing from going down and just finish it off. And then that's a thing of the past. You know what I mean? So uh, that's what we're going to be doing with all of the money we make in July for everybody who signs up for the Patreon. What you'll get in return is uh, access to Sake, uh, Sean Crawford, less and lot 29 episodes they're all up right now and um as well we're going to be sending everyone a print that we made on high quality photo paper of uh hertz day in court and it's uh him with uh two officers by his side and it has his hand style under it so trying to make it worth it to sign up and help this guy out and uh, help us help this guy out so i can't once again, thank you enough for everyone who's been supporting since the start and everyone who's uh, signed up for anything we've done or even listened to an episode. Uh, hopefully we can keep this going and just continue, uh, you know, helping out people who we think deserve the help. So the link to the Patreon is in our Instagram bio and it's also on our website. Yeah, thank you so much. Enjoy the episode. Peace. <laughs> All right, and we're live, dude. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this since uh, we started like contacting each other online a few months ago. 
Uh, you recently moved out of New York, right? We did. Um, by chance, it was timed with COVID, but um, we did an apartment swap in LA with a friend because we were considering relocating to there. And that was March of when COVID started. And then I was kind of nervous about making all my bills here. So we just like packed up here and moved to Colorado, um, which is where I grew up. And I don't know, it's like I, I have a lot of respect for everyone that stayed here, obviously. It's like, a, it's, it's a move. I just, we have a three-year-old kid and it just felt, I was like, I was really unsure about the whole thing. I never thought it would be like six weeks. I thought it'd be like longer, which it was. So we just switched it up. And I felt like an energy shift where I wanted to like, just maybe use it as a time to pursue other things, think about other things, see other things. So yeah, I feel like with the when when COVID hit, especially in New York City, it's like uh, seeing as it hit this place the hardest uh, in America, and just it made you think a lot. Like, yo, is this even a good place to be? Like, is a city a good place to be living in? You know, you're just on top of each other, crammed in. There's zero kind of uh, not even like forget about like social distancing, but just like space in general is a hard to come by from like the apartments that you live in to uh, just like anything at all. Like, you really appreciate it so much more. So I can only imagine, like, how has, like, the thought difference been of now you're living in, like, essentially what people here would consider the woods? Yeah, so when it started, I I, I didn't... I was like anyone, like, I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I just thought we should be somewhere where there's less population density. Mm. And then even it was a time when you weren't supposed to touch your doorknob and all that. Mm. I have, like, again, my kid is, like, at that age, that's, that's like what they do. They just go around and like do that. So, um, so we, we moved and we moved there without a, a plan of how long to stay. We, we rented a place for two months and now we've been there for a year. Um, but, uh, for me, it's like a familiar place because maybe if you grew up in New York, you think of nature and the woods as like a, place you go on vacation or something but people that live there think of this place as an exotic place like visiting the woods for like the kid that grew up in the east village or something yeah like this is their vacation or this is their woods their woods or it's even more like it's like exotic like they don't know what to expect if they come here you know they've seen movies but that's that might be it mm -hmm. um and the reason I'm saying that is because I can relate because when I came here, I didn't know anything about any of it. So, so do you not, do you not care? Like, uh, you know, some people, uh, they feel like they have to live in a cityscape or they have to live in a big city or some people, they have to live in the woods, but seeing as you just, you know, went from one to the other, uh, from like my eyes seamlessly, like, does it not really matter to you where you live? Could it be here or there as long as you got like your family and the things that you'd love to do, which seeing as your main thing is photography, you can do that just about anywhere. Uh, does it not matter to you? I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but like I, I, I love life. <laughs> like I want to be everywhere at once, you know? Like I want to surf in Rockaway. I want to 
be in LA. I want to like move around, see stuff. So um, I was here for 22 years and at some point I just became a little more open to like just trying something else. Mm. And it's not easy to leave here. I felt like a lot of people that come here, they stay for five years, 10 years, 20 years. And then, you know, it, it, you do come to a point in your life where you're no longer as young and flexible as you were. So when I came here, I was paying three fifty a month to share a bedroom, you know. And then by the time I left, I was paying more than that just for my parking space. Like everything got so kind of inflated. Um, that at some point I was just treading water. I wasn't really making, I wasn't making money. I was just kind of like here, but, um, no, it's, it's the best place. (laughs) I think, uh, for most things, I wouldn't say it's the best place for like outdoor stuff, but, um, you came here, you came here in 98 in a time when New York was literally not what it is now at all. Pretty much like from, from just like, uh, from literally everything, from the demographic demographic of people who live here or live in certain areas to what the prices are to, like, the graffiti writers that are out and about, you have... it's It was, like, totally different. Um, so, in a way, it's like you're... You, you Like, you lived here, yeah, and, like, you moved... It's all good. And, and you, like, moved out uh, recently, but it's like you're moving out of a place that's it's not the same place that you moved into. Right. Um... Yeah, like when I came here, I guess uh, it was like a pre-internet time, pretty much. I mean, the internet was out, but people weren't like really using it. Um, And I came here with like a fascination just for certain things, like uh, bike messengering, Mm -hmm. which I never did, but I just thought it was cool. I rode bikes a lot, graffiti. Graffiti is the only thing that I've ever like been a fan of that I never did. You know, when I think about it, like I love, I love skateboarding. I used to skate. I love certain things, but for some reason, graffiti, when I got to New York was like, was like a thing for me. And I, I think, uh, maybe I was seeing the remnants of what was like almost like a golden era of like the early nineties. Um, is that what you, is that, is this? What we want to talk about? No, it's it's whatever, oh, whatever okay. it leads to. Yeah, I just remember, yeah. like, when I got to New York, I, like, uh, people would talk about how it was much more lawless even mm-hmm. before I got there. And then I felt like I saw it get more and more kind of fancy the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people expressed a nostalgia and love for, like, old New York, things that would slowly peel away like as I was here like pearl paint Mm. Um, I mean there's a long list of those things so um, yeah I definitely saw like a transition but then when I left and the COVID happened maybe it spun it back a little bit or sideways as these things leave like as pearl paint leaves or you know the banks shut down or these long-standing businesses and staples uh, in these cultures uh, it almost seems to me like yeah, New York is always growing and there is, is always new infrastructure and all that type of shit. But it's like, uh, what is replacing, like, for example, a staple like the banks? I don't know what's replacing it. Like in the skate world, nothing seems like to me like what, like the new skate park in, in Harlem. Like 
it's not the same thing or like uh you know pearl paint pearl paint and what is there now like a new like blick art store on it is that replacing it like well it is kind of replacing it but i'm saying like is it serving the same role as like uh this thing did um and like my question is like is this is like that part just completely gone like is it just never to return you know what i mean i do um personally for me then it's just about the people that are here is is um what i get out of it once pearl paint's gone i mean the sad thing is when those places go they oh it you're like oh i wonder what it's going to be and it's usually just like Dwayne reed yeah exactly no that's what i'm saying yeah because <laughs> that's that's who takes over those big yeah. places but uh yeah, I think at that point it becomes about what it's going to be. And then maybe somewhere in there, um, the digital thing kind of took over as like a new outlet, a new place to explore. And it became less about pearl paint. And uh, I used to work at Angelica Kitchen, you know, yeah. plant-based restaurant. for So that was another staple. That yeah, that was, like, that was like the... The vegan spot. Yeah, the vegan spot. Um, so, yeah, for, to answer your question, yeah, for me, then it just becomes about the folks that are, that are here. Mm. So, why did you work at Angelica's? Were you uh, like dabbling in like the vegan stuff at the time, or just by chance? Yeah, I think uh, Angelica was a like a famous vegan restaurant that was here. In New York from, I think, the late 70s until about 2015. And there was some kind of crossover of, like, old-school New York hardcore music people. Yeah, I know John Joseph. He always talks about Angelica's Kitchen. He was in there. Uh, Glennie Friedman was in there. Um, some, like, Def Jam people that were getting into vegetarian, vegan stuff were come. So, so I think it was, like... Uh, I think, th I think the reason I got hired is because I came from Colorado and they thought there was kind of like a little bit of like a hippie connection. Mm. Um, <laughs> <So funny. laughs> you know what I mean? I really yeah. think it was that was probably it. Yeah. There's also a group of kids that are a little older than me that moved here from my town before me, and one of them worked there, mm. and he was like, "You could check it out." Um, and that was like. I mean, that was kind of cool because in a way I was like jumping right in to, I wouldn't call it a scene, but like a, a zone. Mm -hmm. um, I remember like, you know, funny little things like uh, someone came in and my manager was right here. He like gave me 50 bucks and somehow I gave him back a hundred and food. Like he like hustled me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like kind of like the cashier version of the coconuts or something. And I was like, oh. And my manager was just laughing at me, like, because <laughs> I was pretty green. Like, I really did come up from Colorado, and I was like, uh, this is cool. And then um, just from that being there and just seeing, just getting a feel for the energy in that area, the people, I was like, I, I kind of want to stay, you know. Um, Why did you initially move here? I moved here for no reason. I moved here because a friend of mine that I went to college with, his dad was a pilot and he gave me a plane ticket here. And I was gonna stay for just three months. And then that was like 22 years. 
you know, it, it always crazes me out to hear like the whole, uh, yeah, I paid three fifty for this, or I, I think Jest and Claw told us also what they paid. I don't remember what it was, but it was something crazy, something that like you hear now and it just sounds like a myth, like sounds like a something that could never ever happen ever again and almost never happened. But like obviously that's how it was and that's what the prices were. It's like now you could live like pretty, like a two hour commute from the city and it's still not going to be that. Even for a room, it's not going to be that. Yeah, I think I saw the last of the like $500 bedrooms. So like our neighbors, some of them were like 30 in the east. I lived at 6th and B. And some of the neighbors were like 30. And they to me, they seemed like dinosaurs at the time. They were like these old dudes. But I think they were the last gen, like early 90s guys. To each pays 500 in an East Village two-bedroom. So they have a two-bedroom for a grand. Yeah, and that's like been gone. What was, your, what was your life like then? Like your, your daily routine? What was your like when you'd wake up? Like what was your life like? And then as opposed to now that you live in Colorado and you have a child and you have this whole different type of life. What are like the main differences in how you live your life? Um, I mean, I feel really lucky in, in a sense that I came here because it gave me this like timeline that re- I just... I just really like where like I kind of got to have a second like I I grew up in Colorado went to college came here and then I had this like almost 20 years of just like figuring it out you know working having relationships and then like started a family kind of late and now that I have a kid and stuff like my maturity level is like patience is just right I think for that and I don't feel like I'm missing out if I'm not out like running around um you, you mean what was my like life like here in the in the early 2000s or what was yeah. it like yeah yeah like it was like 2000s the, paying like the 350 for for the bedroom and all that yeah i mean it was fun it was like um so when i got here it was like dj no tricky that musician okay was popular like a trip hop guy, um, yak pack, and then like messenger bags, Manhattan Portage, like those things were big. There was some kind of Nike, like Prestos. When yeah. was that? Mm-hmm. When was Prestos? I don't know. You talking about? Because <laughs> sometimes I'll get them off where someone will be like, Prestos was like 2007, dude, and I'll be like, oh, but well, it was funny because I could, I got here and I could see like defined trends which we didn't really have like in the woods because it just people don't feel the need to like be right on trend because it doesn't doesn't matter (laughs) you know um and then i got here and uh just some like really cool early memories was like i met uh rob campbell Mm. who's like to me, one of the most iconic, like, New York skaters. The fullest. Triple OG. Firmest handshake of all time. Firmest handshake. Probably crunches your knuckles when you does destroy it. Destroy your hand. Yeah. He's, like, best guy. And, yeah. like, <laughs> I was skate, skating with him at Union Square, and he's like, let's go to this other spot. And I just remember skating in traffic for the first time with him, and I felt like, all right, I just jumped in the river with, like, the big fish. Like, yeah, yeah. And that was fun. Um, and then, you know, at the time, like, I didn't, I had a pager, so there was, you know, not the phone thing. Um, 
and just like moving around had different sublets um there were cool like uh still kind of like cool stores like a techno only record store um i remember footwork which you guys have to be too young for that that was like a bobito downstairs record store okay in the east village which was really cool and um like magazines had a lot of juice then it would be like Tokion, ID, Index. Like all these magazines had a lot of say in media. Like not like now where it's mostly like a lot. I mean, they, those things still exist, but it's more like user-generated stuff now, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like, and then in terms of like the city, like when I, so starting in like 99... I felt like there was like like a scene happening, like a new scene, and that was like some of it was like graffiti, skateboarding, like there was like a time from like the early nineties people into like the late nineties, two thousands people. So I felt like it was fun to just be there for all that stuff. Yeah, what was the deal with like you, you know, you did like the autograph book, su- super iconic to say the least. Uh, all all these writers that you that you had on it were just like it's just like straight up crazy, you know, like you had NATO, Jest, uh, you know, Sems, Korn, uh, Ear Snot, uh, Claws in it. Like you have so many just, and that's like not the first, but like one of the more like iconic moments, I think, where like the graffiti writer, uh, him or herself take, gets taken out of total obscurity and you can like somewhat match like maybe not a clear face but like some sort of something to the name uh some of them would give off like their own like you know their own like style their own attitude just from the way like they're posing or what they're wearing or like what's in the background and you're like oh shit like this is this this is this person you know what i mean uh where did that idea to yeah first of all like where did that idea to make that book come from uh okay so that book like at first I just had the idea. I didn't even care so much if the photos were good. Like, cause I didn't know how to take photos then. I just, I was like, I want to do this. I, I just want the tag with the photo, with the graph writer. Cause for me it was kind of almost like not investigative journalism, but I really wanted to know who wrote the tags. Cause I didn't know. I thought it was all, uh, like, like, uh, like part of like some hip hop thing or something. I didn't know there was all different types of people that wrote graffiti, like from like metal dudes to like skateboarders. Like I didn't know, I genuinely wanted to discover like who wrote. Um, And I had a roommate at the time. Um, I, I don't remember how we met, but I was living with Pez, who's like, at the time was up with tags and stickers probably more than anyone. Like, cause he was a bike messenger and then he was a food delivery guy. Um, and he wasn't from New York, but he had a lot of like New York writers really liked him. And I think from him, like he introduced me to like several people. And so that book is basically like, I'm learning how to take pictures, you know, but I think that kind of naive vibe is what can like do that's where the magic is like once you figure it out too much you might something might be lost but like some of the pictures in there like um 
because I'm experimenting with different distances from the subject. Like there's like area and deck where I'm like close in on their faces and that's how they're kind of obscured. And then some are like, like this. Um, it, it was just exciting. I mean, that book was like a three year process and imagine, so I have to meet the writer somewhere, photograph them, get a print made, bring it back to them, have them sign it. Um, I mean, it was cool. I mean, there's definitely things I would do different, differently now, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, the thing that, like, once I had a few heavies in there, like, other people were like, oh, yeah, I want to do it. Like, I think once uh, Earsnot did it, pretty much everyone was like, let's go. Um, the other thing that was really cool. But how did they find out that, like, for example, nowadays people would know that Earsnot did it because there's a, a bunch of, uh, you know, there's a bunch of media, there's a bunch of photos you can see at a moment's notice. You post it, they'll see it. How do they know that? Just by word of mouth? No, I would tell them who's, who's done it already. Mm. So I'd be like, I shot with Earsnot, Sam's, like all that. Um, is this like instant coffee? Yeah. I can fail it, dude. That's all I have. <laughs> no, I love instant coffee. Yeah, okay, I can okay, tell yeah. I got a pump. It's like, <laughs> it's hitting. Um, no, so so there was like a scene around Iraq people. And like, you could really see it in the East Village, which is where I was living. And like, Etch just started in like 99. And I would just see it. And I was like, what is Sacker? You know, like, I didn't know anything. Like, I really didn't know anything about it. And like, it was kind of, that book was also a way for me to like figure out like what was going on. Like I didn't know any of the etiquette stuff of like tag, throw up, fill in, roller. Um, and then the photos were really fun because like writers just bring the swag. Like they care about being photographed, which I didn't even think about as I was just like, I want to just get a picture of you. You can obscure however you want you know, your identity and we're going to, you can hit it with a tag. I actually didn't really care. But then when I started seeing the writers, like thinking about how they wanted to look in the photos and like the locations were so important. And like, I took a picture of Remo that he never signed. Um, but I remember just holding up my camera and he just like went into like this pose. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is what these guys are like bringing the vibe, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I just got kind of into it, and then I would ask, if I did shoot with someone, um, I'd ask them who else they liked, other writers. This, the thing is, a lot of there's a lot of dope ones that didn't happen all the way. So that's, for me, always the thing, where I had, like, a sick photo of, like, Pen and Shine, you know, and, it, like, they didn't feel they were obscured enough, so it didn't go in, and I'm like, like, I really was a fan, you know, there. So, um yeah, um, and then that was like, you know, going for years, like with a, just a pager, meeting people. Um, you developed the photos yourself as well in that time period? or No, or? I would take them. Um, also, simultaneously in that time period, there was kind of a, uh, you know, interest in like simple point-and-shoot photography and not doing your own darkroom work, just like... Uh, before that, it was like, oh, you have to have medium format and everything has to be really serious. And then it was like people started shooting like this. And I was kind of part of that, too, because I was like 
not so much like the photographer photographer, but I was like doing things with the camera, you know? Um, so yeah, to circle back, Pez started it off and it introduced me to Cynic, a bunch of people in the beginning. Um, and then once I had some of those people in there, the, the others were mostly came pretty easily. So when you started the project, you really had no idea about like, uh, about like the ins and outs of, of graph culture or graph etiquette or anything like that. And then just by sheer chance, you ended up like it organically happened that all of these, these, uh, heavy, heavy people came through, were a part of the project. Uh, and then you put together the book in a way that it seems like you knew, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like you knew what the fuck was up. That's what's like shocking to me that you, that you didn't and you wanted to, you started the project to put a face to the name and like kind of understand and you barely knew how to take photos. And then, and then like, it just, it looks like you, it was super planned out and that you were, you know, heavily knew what you were doing from both sides right away. Yeah, thanks. I did. I had no idea. And then, <laughs> and then also like, um, you know, I knew, I knew about F stops and shutter speed, mm. which is basically what you need to just line up to get like an image to expose. Right. But I didn't know anything really beyond that. Um, and, but yeah, that was like all that whole book was like, I was learning about it, you know? And, um, and meeting those guys and like just connecting with the city. And then I, I, yeah, I don't know. I've always just read graph like everywhere I go. I don't know necessarily why, but then I really did feel like a deeper connection because I like, I was like, I know who did that. <laughs> Whereas like a lot of people don't consider it or they think it's ugly or they don't, it's just not part of their day to like, look at it, you know? When you um, started, I'm sorry. No, when, go ahead. when you started that project, did you think that, uh, did you have an idea of like a time frame for how long you were going to do it? Because essentially, there's like an unlimited supply of graffiti writers. Because like once one generation goes away, there's like another. Did you know like a certain number of amount of people that you were going to get in that project? Uh, yeah. Well, eventually, it was like the publisher was like, let's let's make a date. Here's the deadline. Here's this is the end. And then I started just shooting more like landscapes. Because some, some people that I wanted to photograph didn't pan out. So I was like, at least I want to put a picture of their fill-in in there, you know. Um, but yeah, I could have kept going. And then it did keep going a little bit, like Sneeze Magazine. Mm -hmm. did like, I did several more with them, just for fun, like after the, after the fact. Um, but yeah, and then I just kept paying attention after that so do you have any of the photographs that uh were particularly like they stand out to you for a certain memory that they bring back or like a wild instance that came with that photo or like meeting up to do these things and like things that would go down um yeah let me think um like for me because i didn't really photograph like action stuff like people actually bombing and then when I did we all got arrested <laughs> so I was with um because also like 
like I said, I, my approach was a real naive to all this stuff. So I didn't know. And then as I kept going, I started meeting different writers and like I met Ewok and then we went out with his crew, 5MH. Yeah. And I was like, this is cool. And then we, but then we started doing photos of them bombing, which I hadn't done. Those photos I never saw because they all got seized because we all got arrested. So this is like right after 9-11 and everything's like a little heightened as far as like security and all that. And um, we were driving around all night and then for some reason they, at like four in the morning, everyone was tired and they just started writing like right in J Street in Brooklyn, mm. downtown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It might've even been like a little hot. It might've been too close to the police thing, whatever. But anyway, we all got arrested, like gun in the face from the cop, the whole thing. Um, and then at one point when we were in the pens, I got separated from them. So they started thinking that I was a snitch and then I had set them up, which I kind of understand like why they would think that. But I was, I was just, <laughs> and then in the end, we all came together, saw the judge together and they didn't think I was a snitch. And then. I did community service and all that, but, um, that, I mean, that, that's not so much of a great story, but it gave me a lot of perspective on getting bagged like that part of the process of writing graffiti is like, sucks. You couldn't take photos in there. I have a Polaroid somewhere of like the guy came to shot the cans mm -hmm. as evidence. And I was like, let me get a Polaroid of me in here. And I'm like this, like in the slammer, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was also, like I said, like, it was also like right after 9-11, so they were like extra pissed about it. And they were like, the cops were like, you're doing a little interior decorating out there? That was like their line for like graffiti. The other thing they did was they tried to get us to admit that we wrote on um, mailboxes. Because mm -hmm. I think that's like a federal, federal deal. Offense, yeah. So what that did was gave me insight on people that have gotten arrested multiple times. And I just, I was like, this once was like, kind of freaked me out like <laughs> you know um i'm trying to think of other stories did you get any charges from that or no i got time served and three days community service okay it's criminal mischief or something yeah and it just went away and it went away i think like i've never heard about it coming back up um i mean i f shot with surf and mint in this phone booth, oh, sorry, phone, not phone booth, shot surfing then on a rooftop, and then we climbed over a few rooftops and we descended down the building. And then we got, as we were going out, we got stuck in between two doors somehow. And I was like, we could see out the door, but no, you couldn't open it. There was like no handle on it. So we were stuck and then they like caught a bunch of tags in the hallway and I was like, oh God, now we're going to get in trouble. And I was like starting to stress. <laughs> but then we fed a shoelace out the door and like pulled it from both sides. And there was like one of those like elementary school like push mm. bars and we like MacGyvered our way out, climbed out. But this is like over like a bunch of hours. Like we were like kind of fried by the end, but uh, that was cool. And then a lot of it was just like meeting like, there's just a lot of personalities in Graf, you know? Yeah. Like I remember Cynic watching him do tags and being like, look at these fresh shits. Like he was like, so like you could see it in his eyes. Like he was just stoked, you know, um, cope. 
cope too was like like i get a call because this is before cell phone i'd have to page him he'd be like yo peter and then it'd be like full 10 seconds and he'd be like scope <laughs> you know so there's this that kind of thing was cool you know to kind of engage with all these guys so you know it's funny you say that um graph is one of those things like one of the only things that you uh that you had an interest in that you never really did uh but uh one of our first episodes we spoke to Nov, and he's really into like the history of graffiti and the people who have documented it and uh you know, like Martha Cooper's, Henry Chalfant's, you, you look at like books like Subway Art that have influenced uh, so many writers and so many writers who, not just like whatever writers, like big name writers who ended up making an even crazier influence on the scene uh, in their own way were influenced by these people. You know what I mean? Uh, the amount of writers that we've spoken to who picked up Subway Art and they were like, wow, I'm going to really start writing graph now. Or... Um, you know, flip flip to the future, and uh, videos like "State Your Name," and uh, even even that from the video game Mark Echoes getting up, and that little thing that had like you know Noxer, Vfer, and all these people. Those are like the in my eyes, those are like the subway art of the of the next gen, and it had a ginormous influence on like everyone that I know. And you know, I've said it a few times, but like it's like the Bible to like everyone that I know, and you know every single word they said. Um, what they were wearing, how they said it, the pauses in between the sentences, you know what I mean? And, uh, in, in, like, I have a lot of respect for uh, the people who do that, who, like, make these uh, pieces of, like, media or art or whatever you want to call it, like, you know, organize themselves, get together, get all these people together, make a style to it, and stamp a moment in time, like, forever. Like, now it's there, you know what I mean? And, uh, like you with autograph you sent that's what you did you know and, and you have like the compilation of like all the sickest people from then and uh in a very unique way because whether you meant to or not you know you didn't take footage of or, i mean uh photos of people in action uh but that's what like what everybody does so it's even like super more unique when it's just them like it's like a portrait when do you have a portrait of like a writer never you know so i uh like i it's like a moment in time that's just stamped because of something like that. So it's awesome. Thanks. No, for real. I, I'd love if people still look at it, talk about it, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I was just lucky in the sense of, like, there was a moment in time that I could feel bubbling up because some of those guys that we mentioned, you're not – those guys, like – got other people to come back out. You could see, like, old writers starting to do this. I mean, my, my, uh, like, like, I think my interest in it goes back to the Mean Streaks article. So there's, like, a Rolling Stone 1995 Mean Streaks, it's called. Okay. And it's all about, it's just the journalist goes with him, and there's also JD and Foe. Okay. And he's talking about them smoking dust and like climbing on billboards and like um, all this stuff. And like I just read that whole article. I was I had never been to New York, but I was like, this is this is dope. <laughs> oh, wait, is he talking? Is, is, is it the article where he's like talking with the with the who who what writers is he hanging with? 
I think JD and Fo. Okay, okay. I, I think, or those are like who's in his orbit at that time. Okay. And they're just painting him as like the the, the heaviest crusher, you know. On um, that article, like, in so, so in some ways, like the funny thing is, I never got a picture of JA. So that was like like Moby Dick or something like I was like he was always off I put photos of his fill-ins in there but like you know that was the one and then when I later when I photographed uh say sir he was quoting that article like he because they talk about J.A. pulling up to Delancey Street wearing a pair of rollerblades or something Mm -hmm. and like he was quoting it like line by line like he had like read it and memorized it too so I think for like folks older than yourself like you had to really dig there wasn't a lot coming out on graph but this one article kind of like was like kind of iconic for a lot of people so yeah now as it keeps going like you have books and then you have digital stuff um and i feel like your this thing has become the main platform for to talk about some of this stuff which is cool so it's like an evolution from like obscure like article in a mainstream magazine to like everything no yeah i feel like the the article in the mainstream magazine is super it is like you're taking it out of obscurity but it's still in obscurity yeah you have to actually have that shit and not everyone has access to it and then also once they're gone they're like they're taken they're gone they're in people's closets uh yeah like i would love to find some of these things but i probably never will you know what i mean it's going to be super super hard um, but there is also like a purity in that because mm-hmm. you appreciate it so much more. Like, yo, this is not for like, not everyone can just get this. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. Did you guys, do you guys write? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I won't ask <laughs> what, but yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah ever since, um, ever since you like, you know, you moved, you moved out of New York, but I'm assuming you, yeah, definitely before then. Uh, and you had like a child, which I know is like a ginormous part of your life, and I'm assuming has drastically influenced the way you think and just view the world now. Uh, did you ever think of yourself as someone who would have a child? Like, yeah, one day this is what I want to do, or just uh, like it just morphed into existence. Um, having a child, I I did think I would have one. I thought I'd be 42. I was 41. Even when I was like your age, I was like, I'm gonna have a kid. And then the the thing with having a child is like, I d- I love it. I think it's fun every day. Like I think it, you have a range of emotions you've experienced like as an adult, and then you have a child and it just goes even further. Where you're like, wow, like love this guy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and then it's it's given me just kind of a perspective on you know, the circle of life that I didn't have where it's like when I see other kids, like I know how to talk to them or something now. Like, it's like, I just see them as like, they're just, they're just like us, but they're in different stages of their life. But before I just had no interest in kids, Mm. you know? Um, and then I do get a lot out of like that youthful energy that he brings. Um, so yeah, that 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 thing has been lucky, you know, for sure. How do you, how do you go about trying to, like you know, uh, some some parents are like, I'm gonna do it this way, I'm gonna do it that way. Uh, they will do this. Like the other day, I heard um, 
I heard like my child will do this and it's like the thing that the parent likes uh, like what what do you like of course there's no way that you don't have like uh, expectations it's just like human nature you're gonna hope that certain things go down and those things are like our expectations so how do you go about trying to like trying to raise your child in the best ways possible yeah that thing is is hard because you know a lot of people that gravitate towards the things that you or I like might like like skateboarding whatever like you they might have got there because their parents didn't like that stuff yeah so uh I don't know like yeah I want to I want to skate with him like things like that but you can't push it so basically like he's Little kids are down for stuff if there's other little kids doing it, I find. Which, you know, like if I, if I wanted him to skate, then I would try to get him with the group of his buddies, and then they all do it. I wouldn't just try to, like, force it on him. Um, and then the little kids are also, like, into things that they're, like, good at easily. So, like, he figured out the bike pretty quick. But a skateboard, you know, it takes him like a year to learn how to do a kickflip or something. So he doesn't, he's not as excited about that. Um, but I think you just have to be a bit zen about it and see where it goes. You know, I don't think you can really choose for them. Because, um, yeah, right now he's surrounded by pretty good music. Like, he already has skateboards on ice and waiting for him and bikes. And, like, those things for myself, I had to, like, really dig and work to get those to build up to the point where I had a a pro skate deck. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if it's going to be it wouldn't maybe it wouldn't be as special for him if he's just if I just hand him one. Or he doesn't even remember cuz he's so mm -hmm. young that I'm like you should ride this, you know. So um I don't know if that answers your question, but basically I mean my strategy or our strategy with my wife is like I think we just try to just give him love like and then that's the foundation and then everything else is kind of like gravy after that what, what are your thoughts on like um raising a child in like an area like colorado for example as opposed to like a city um type of vibe you know what i mean because like i feel like children that are raised in the city like i'm just looking at the most recent like my nieces or you know things like that i feel like the the parents don't really have time to um I don't know, like raise their children in a way because they're so busy working and making ends meet and like the rent is crazy here and then the children are just in like indoctrination school like eight hours a day and then like, I don't know, it's just like it feels very uh, dis disconnected from a child in a way in a city environment as opposed to like Colorado, for example, where I would think where the kid just like roams free in my mind, you know? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think... Uh Because now, you know, there, there's, no matter how long I live here, there's a big difference between myself and, like, a kid that is born and raised here. And I've met a lot of those kids, and they always have, like, a coolness or a sense, sensibility that it's, like, a worldly thing or they're just exposed to more. So I, I think there's, like, pluses for both, you know? Um, like all the like death and suffering stuff aside like the, during covid like that was probably the best time we could have had for a family because like you said all the extraneous stuff was like cut out and we were just with him 
and like he's seeing friends he went to school and stuff but like um that was special i mean it's just i think it's also depends what you're used to like i grew up in like a middle class like house so for me like living in an apartment never felt all that normal and then living in an apartment with a kid like actually felt kind of like crazy where i was like it can never be clean there's so much stuff it's like you know so um I don't think there's any right way to do it, but I think um, I like the idea of him having a little more space, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, like, in my experience, like, uh, until I was, like, 10 years old, I lived in Jackson Heights uh, in, like, a relatively small apartment with, like, my mom and my dad. Before that, we lived in a basement in Jackson Heights with my mom, my dad, my grandma, my other grandma, my aunt, and, like... I never thought anything of it, you know, because uh, that's all you know. You're born into that world, and it's like, it's not like I'm like, damn, but what about those motherfuckers in Colorado who have a big-ass field? All I know is, like, a little room, you know what I mean? (laughs) So then, like, I remember being so happy. Like, I remember my uh, other cousins came from Ecuador, and we were eating, like, powdered milk. And I remember being like, this shit tastes, like, so ill. And I'm so hyped that my other cousin is here. Like, there's mad people in this room. This is sick. And I'm, like, just jumping on the, the mattress that's, like, on the floor. And never once did I think, like, damn, bro, we're literally, like, seven deep on a mattress on the floor. I just thought, like, this is amazing, you know? And then I remember when I uh, was 10 and we moved to uh, to Massachusetts and, like, there was a bigger house and there was a yard. I remember being, like, yo, this blows. Like, where is, uh, where is like, real reality? And then I remember when uh, we were we were, like, we were going to move back. And I'm like, no, I don't want to move back to New York. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't get to run outside. So like in both instances, I was like, fuck that place. No matter which way, like, you know, when you're, I feel like when you're a little kid, you just get so used to where you're at and what, like the suffering comes like when it changes and then you like leave all of your friends and you leave like what you know, you know what I mean? At least that that was like my, my experience. Uh, but I definitely think that in New York you're going to get more of like a breadth of experience like a variety of experience just because of like the amount of people who live here you're going to be you're going to see and like in like mass you can go from here to the supermarket in your car uh, like protected from the outside world until you get right to the supermarket and then you go in and then you go where it's like here it's like you want to get to the supermarket you might have to like let's say you walk four blocks you're going to like experience everything from like your apartment to those four blocks and there's no like house car thing that is taking away from all of that which might be a good or bad thing you might see some like dude literally uke on the side of the road with your child and be like damn it I didn't, like i wish that they didn't just see that you know what i mean uh have you ever felt like that uh like say that you're walking around with your child and like feel like anxiety like i hope nothing like jading occurs yeah i have but i've also i I, i've i've had that where like uh i just saw some like eighth graders like really fighting (laughs) in this park in colorado okay and i was just like pretending that i was like goofing you know like i don't know we're doing this game or something yeah just to like not have them see it Mm. but you know that's a i've also heard kids that grew up in new york say that they firsthand saw people nodding off from heroin like their whole lives so they kind of 
went away from that kind of drugs and stuff because they're just like very aware that it doesn't really come out so great sometimes. So I, I don't lean towards a total sheltered life for the kid at all. But um, I also, when they're really young, I like, I don't, I just want him to be in kid zones because right now he's like just full Spider-Man. Like it's honestly so just wholesome. Like I've never seen from a person. So it's like, you want to like yeah. Yeah. nurture that zone, you know? Isn't it crazy? Like when, when you see your child, like let's say you see uh, your child witness a fight or something or anything. It doesn't even have to be a fight. It could be anything. And you know, high certainty that that's the first time that they're seeing that. Isn't that yeah. crazy? Like that is the first time that like if your child were to have seen that fight or whatever it is, or even if it just first time it tries ice cream, you know, it's literal, like, like literally the first time. So it's not like us that we've tried millions of different ice creams and we're like, oh yeah, I know it's going to taste good. This is not surprising to me. Okay, whatever. I eat this and now I'm done. Uh, it's like, it's like, yo, what is this ice cream? Like, this is crazy. It's like a they're legitimately you're watching them experience the world starting from nothing yeah and that's one of the coolest things about it like you're seeing him you're like his mind's getting blown all the time by different stuff Mm -hmm. and then sometimes they have like a concepts of why things are the way they are like why he's in this position might not be to him it might be something else like this might be paint yeah he might be dancing but yeah. You got us three would look at it and think we're pretty sure he's like scrapping with some yeah. other dudes. So, yeah, the kid thing is sick. You guys in that realm at all? No, no. <laughs> yeah, I would no, say wait. I, I would like, say wait because it is a shift. Yeah. To like, uh, I just like contemplating on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, how, how is your? Uh, do you plan on just never moving back to New York? I think for us, we would do try L.A. Um, even though, I mean, I love New York, so it's hard, I mean, to leave. And even you, you guys grew up here, right? It's really hard for you guys because you started off, like, sitting in the throne. This is like, <laughs> you know? So I think it's hard for you guys to figure out where to go if you were to move, you know? Um but I'm interested. I mean, I don't know. Like, there's no plan, but I could see us doing LA. It's kind of a middle ground between here and, you know, Colorado. But um, you can have your own actual home there with a yard yeah. and some space. Yeah, you can live in a house. Yeah. Um, have a car, and like, there will be some traffic, but you like find parking relatively easily. Um, all, like all that. It's like yeah, it's like a good middle ground. Yeah, you'll figure it out. And, and for then, your stuff, too, like creative work. Yeah, and then that and, like, um, a lot of people from here go there. They get... Mm. It's the cliche thing. You want a little more space, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I noticed that with, like, this whole corona thing, um, because as soon as it went down, like you were saying, people were leaving, like yourself, and um, I feel like uh, they they finally have had... They started having time for like these creative endeavors and like pursuing things that they'd never really had time for or, like broke out of their like um the structure they had going on in the city and like uh, another thing i noticed is that uh something i'm interested in currently is um like the the van life type of style and um i noticed that like skyrocketing like people's interests for that type of 
I feel like this whole thing that happened with this um, like Corona thing is that uh, people like broke out of this like comfort zone in a way, whether they liked to or not, and uh, started thinking of different alternatives. You know what I mean? And they didn't have a lot of time to do it because you have to act quick. Like if you really want to make a commitment to uh, that type of life, and um, yeah, I don't know if that had anything to do. With no, that's it. the thing. I mean, wh- where I was, everyone was buying a kayak and a tent and a van life situation mm-hmm. set up and wanting to be outdoors. Um, yeah, I mean, we. It's funny because we actually were gonna go to LA anyway, so it wasn't like just Corona. But once we were in LA, LA is almost the same price as here. And I was really concerned, like, I don't know if I'm going to make money during this time because it just seemed fun. What did you guys do during? What did you do differently? Um, nothing. I literally just kept working. Like, they didn't close my job down. Like, everything was honestly the same for me. But I know a lot of people that uh, they were, they're still unemployed. You know, like, a lot of people lost a lot of things or people left, you know. But me personally, nothing really changed. And to this day, and since it's kind of dying down, it's been, like, the same, I guess. Yeah, I was supposed to be going to school, and then all this happened, and then that ended up shutting, like, not happening how I thought it was going to. I ended up, uh, like, quitting that, and then we started, actually, this podcast. Um, for me, it was, a, it was a cool time, because, like, by just, like, luckily, no one I know really passed, you know? Uh, no one in my family, like, direct family passed, like... Only people I know of who were like really badly affected by it were like someone who knows someone. So um, yeah, it sucks, but it's not like it like destroys my emotions because I'm so far removed from that. Uh, it was like I spent a lot of time with my family, like we like a lot of us did, and it just completely took me out of my every single day routine of what I'm used to and what I do. I, I left New York. Uh, I was with my parents in Massachusetts for like three months and I went and I thought I was going to be there for like I don't know a week and then like three months passed I'm like yo this is like the longest I've not been here since and it's like the middle of the woods you know what I'm saying like (laughs) and like I don't see anyone or like do anything but my routine was pretty sick like I just wake up read and then uh like do like some push-ups do some like calisthenics like inside my inside my basement and then I would uh I just like cook for my family, and it was pretty. It was That's pretty nice, cool. Right? Like, I, I enjoy cooking, and like, uh, it was cool. Like, and it's funny because like, as someone who you're used to the city life, maybe you take the train every day. Maybe you like a few nights a week, you go out do some painting. Uh, you hear like, like the the train go by you. You hear this guy like, look at that, look at this over there. Then you hear like the train conductor say something. Some crazy dude walks in the subway. And you're like, I don't know, there's so much like, boom, 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 boom. Um, there was like, that's, it's like a whole different life, you know what I mean? And it's pretty calming. And it made me start thinking, damn, maybe I should just straight up live here forever. Because uh, this is like, like, why am I? I started thinking of uh, New York. And, and I don't think this, but this is what my, was my thought then. Uh, I started thinking of New York as like a ginormous complication. Like, uh this is where I live. Uh, at, at like right before Corona, I was going to like downtown every single day to hang out with like people or do this or do that. So my commute was pretty diesel. Um, you know, if I want to move or do not do something like that, it's going to be 
you know, the rent's about to go crazy. Uh, then I'm going to have to get like more roommates. Then I'm going to have to do this. If not, I have to do that. And I'm like, yo, what is, but I'm like happy here in, in the woods, straight up doing nothing. Like not nothing, but not doing like all the other stuff I was doing. So I'm like, I started questioning, like, am I overcomplicating my life and adding like unnecessary stress for the sake of like, I don't even know for the sake of what, like, I don't even know for the sake of anything. And I'm like, I started thinking of like my parents and like, uh, you know, you don't know when, how long your parents are going to be around for. And I'm like, maybe I should move to like, move to mass and just like be with them for the time being. Cause they're planning on moving to Ecuador. So I'm like, even if, even if they don't pass, like I'm not, I'm going to see them like how many times a year, you know what I mean? So I was like, maybe I should be out. And then I don't know where that thought went, but it's just like everything, like the chemicals in my brain just faded. And now like. I'm pretty ex- extremely happy to be here. So you're back in the mix. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're alone in having that thought of like maybe the extra energy it takes to live in a place like this. Yeah. Um. But that's the trade-off, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Because yeah. it is it is a really cool place. I mean, it's been fun. Like just on this visit, like seeing friends and like hey, your story's looking like in your you're looking, yeah. I'm like, like oh, dude. <laughs> Um, like graffiti friends food more graffiti <laughs> look at this sick piece like you know what i mean yeah i can tell you like appreciating everything oh like, yeah you're just loving it you see like a straight letter and you're like this is fire yeah you know someone I mean? wrote quasar you guys know what a quasar yeah, yeah. is quasar is sick his graffiti is awesome but you know what a quasar oh, is no, no it's when you and i accidentally like touch hands mm. <laughs> you go quasar <laughs> like, i don't know yeah. something like that like I don't exactly know, but it's like a funny yeah. thing. But then, yeah, the way it looks is so rad. I've never, I don't know Quasar, but I was instantly like, look at that. Yeah, he approaches um, his, his pieces really well, too. Yeah. Um, who, who are some of you guys' favorites? Of graffiti? Yeah. Um, oh, man. That's a, honestly, I respect everyone, like, pushing the limits in a way. Like, uh, I don't know, like, when I see, like, false come out of nowhere and do, like, a crazy stomper like i'm like holy shit that's sick or like pear like you know these people but like anyone really pushing the limits i'd say and i think a lot of that is happening right now in new york city because during the corona thing um like the streets just started getting covered because um like a lot of gates and neighborhoods that usually never had graffiti or like it would just get buffed right away they just started accumulating and like people gave up because i think the new york city graffiti like task force that would clean them um like was defunded and like no one was really cleaning up graffiti so if you're just like in the mix of a bunch of throwies you kind of just blend in you don't stand out so people started really pushing the envelope i think in my opinion so they started really doing like crazy things that um i've never really seen before honestly in like new york city history but um the thing the like what i grew up on because i'm from south brooklyn like um i don't know just like a lot of writers that were like on the train lines that were near me that I would see all the time just looking out the window, you know. But, uh, yeah, I don't say I respect anyone nowadays, like, really pushing it. You know, like, recently we uh, spoke to Nova again, and that's somebody, like, it's just bugged out with this podcast. Like, I'm meeting people that, like, as a little kid, they were, like, a superhero in my mind, and now it's, like, putting a face and a conversation to all this is, like, very, very trippy. Yeah. Like, I didn't think it was going to be in, like, my path of, in my life. It was, uh, it's it was really essentially cool. all, like, an accident. You know, like this, this, uh, how it came about, like it was not supposed to be like, a, like you, you told us earlier, like a ginormous compliment of like 
how this is like a good platform to blah 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 it wasn't like that was not even it was literally just going to be me and him talking shit about like random things you know what i mean and then um and then like <laughs> random things. yeah random things, like everything, everything and then like uh charlie charlie hustle came on and then like it reminded me of what you said how when you're not was down with your thing then every other writer was like let's do it it's like the exact same thing happened and uh and, and like yeah so that's essentially what happened and like with graffiti comes like a lot of other people uh like 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 you you know um I've been, you know, I've skated since I was like 11 years old and like I've always been knowing about your product, projects like pedal and just like all, all the stuff that you do and the photos that you take, even if it was just for like someone modeling something or something like I've always been like, you know, up to date on your stuff and then just through like a random mixture of things. But getting back to your original question uh, of like the writers that I like is like um, I've always really liked forever the writers that uh, when I see their stuff, I can put like maybe not a face to a name, but like a style and a personality, not style in ter- terms of writing, but like, yo, like this is who I am to the thing. So I always loved uh, Nove and now I love it even more because he's the man. Uh, like I've always because, you know, I used to think of his personality as like, I'll fight you right now. You know, like I don't care about anything and I have no friends and fuck you, too. So I thought about that and like I would see it on the wall like and it, it was like uh when I came around it was like it's not like he was like actively painting anymore. So when you do see it it was even more special. I'm like, yo, this dude was like here, you know? So that was always one of my favorites. Uh Irsnot, I always loved um all of his interviews. I love like hearing him talk when he's just like, Yeah man, like I'll fucking catch mad tags easy, fucking uh midtown easy, broad day, people in their suits like what? I didn't see that and then like you know, he's just hitting and he just like carefree, doesn't give a shit about anything. Uh, he like wearing the yellow gloves, yellow windbreaker or whatever, catches the upside down thing uh, with his bike. And I'm like, sick, dude, like I can put like a personality. It's not just like some writing on the wall. It's more of like a, an energy. I love Charlie's stuff and I love uh, MQ stuff. Those are like my favorites. Um, and, you know, I, I think they, uh, they like, ins- it like inspires me outside of graffiti. Just like uh, cool human beings who are like have style and energy to them, that that shit gets me really hyped. Uh, and even more when I meet them and they don't like let my image down and they end up being like super cool and like they don't even care about like I'm some cool guy and they're just like yeah like let's do it right now. You can come over and like I'll do this and we'll it'll be cool. I don't know. Yeah. I like it when I you know in, in graffiti skateboarding uh, hardcore punk. Um, there's so much like, like cool guyism. There's so much like I've met you seven times and you're acting like you don't know me. What did I do? Like we're literally human beings, bro. There's, it doesn't have to be this like uh, I'm better than you because I hang out with this group of friends. But, like in another society, I would have I would be that group of friends or like whatever, you know. So I've always disliked that because uh, I myself never felt like I was like, you know. I always had friends who like really loved this shit. Like straight up loved it, but maybe we weren't like the coolest, or maybe we weren't like uh, the dudes on top that everyone is immediately gonna like suck you off if they know that that's who you hang out with. And uh, not all the time, but a lot of times you get like these very nasty ass vibes from those people. And I'm like, well, that was corny because I literally didn't do. If anything, we shared things in common. You know what I mean? But uh, now uh, tables are turning, and like people who I know would not have been cool with like me or whatever 
or him or like are super down to be super cool with us but like i i completely understand it but like the what, what how i approach it is like when random people hit me up i go like i try to go out of my way to talk to them not even to prove a point but just because like i'm like dude this is sick that you think that like this is cool and like i respect you and if you like can gain something from this conversation or like anything at all then like fuck yeah like you know like this is awesome i have no need to like further my ego by destroying your feelings you know what i mean so when i meet the writers who are like that which has been pretty much all of them who have been on the show i'm like yo this is awesome it makes me love graffiti more um because like i'd be hating it sometimes and i'm like yo this is so stupid but then i'm like how can i say it's stupid when every single person who i've met not every single but like for the most part generally speaking who i've met through it has been like has treated me as if they like owed me something like they have helped me and they've been like there for me and these graph writers are not judgmental people in the sense of like um the they're going to be like down for you, you know, they're not going to be like, oh, but uh, you didn't go to college or like, oh, you do this or you do that or like, damn, you steal like you, you've boosted before. Like, I can't hang out with you like you're a piece of shit, like in like a, how normal pe- regular outside of craft would think. And I really like that. I feel like I can tell these people anything um, like N- no said it in one of our talks with him. He's like, yeah, I can talk to these people and tell them anything. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was like a ginormous rant. But that's like who I like in graph people who are like that you know what about queens specific uh queens i really like clark clark is like uh and then mq obviously but he's kind of like world now but uh his stuff is cool because like it's so like i don't even know it's like uh they always say that but his is really like a stamp like his is really like a stamp Mm -hmm. and it's been the exact same forever like yeah the shape of it is like yeah like you see it in a videograph and it's the same one pretty much that's now. And I'm, and I think that's really cool. And I don't even look at it as like, oh, he hasn't changed his style in whatever years. I think of it as like kind of like a like VFR or something like, I don't know, like you don't change that. That's just what it is now and that's what it's going to be forever. And that's you should just leave it like that because it's like perfect how it is, you know? His thing's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the vertical ones, yeah. horizontal. Totally. V-Fresh or Vandalism yeah. for Real and all the extras is so dope. But yeah, man, I want to say, uh, like, seriously, uh, thank you for coming on the show and, like, showing us love. And uh, when you, I think the first time you, like, hit us up on the story or something was through uh, Send 4. You saw the Send oh, 4 yeah. and you were, like, dope. <laughs> and I was, like, I'm, like, lurking and I'm, like, yo, fucking, I told, I told the homies. And I'm, like, yo, fucking, Peter Sutherland said that's dope. That's so sick. And I was, like, let me see if he's down for the show. And then, you know, now you come to New York and... No, I'm super, super grateful, and I do not take this uh, for granted whatsoever. I appreciate it to the fullest, so thank you, bro. Oh, likewise. Thanks for having yeah, me. Thank you so much. Like super I said cool. earlier, man, every guest is a trip, and you're definitely like, this is crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. Thank you so much. Bro. No, this is sick. Awesome. Thank, thank you. Peace. Peace out. The, uh, the, Zen, the Zen 4 thing is funny because it's like so specific. Yeah. He just like hits mm-hmm. dumpsters, dumpsters and, and fire hydrants. Yeah, and I'm like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But for years, like so long, dude, that guy's been hitting. We don't. We're not recording, yeah. obviously. But okay. No. Like, um, peace. Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Peace. <laughs>